0: Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, and this is a podcast about Icelandic museums and museum culture. Oh, I have done my share before and had my feelings for the ground.
1: And when the earth
0: keeps calling it's a storm of turning sun. And all my mistakes are on the right side of the road.
1: I feel like someone's howling out my humble history, song. We have a story to tell. We have to learn from our past to do our present and future better. In general, that's quite simple.
0: Reykjavik has a lot of museums, but most of them are relatively small. In 2014, five small to mid-sized museums around the city were merged to form the Reykjavik City Museum. In episode one, I visited the Aubar Open Air Museum, the oldest of the group. The other four parts of the Borgesurga, as it's called in Icelandic, are the Settlement Exhibition, a Viking-age longhouse found under the city center, the Reykjavik Museum of Photography, the Maritime Museum, and Víði Island. The new Reykjavik City Museum has about 35 employees, which makes it one of the largest in Iceland. A few weeks ago, I took a second trip to the Árbáir Open Air Museum to talk with museum director Gryðbænda Benediktsson about museum mergers, historians as presidents, the state of history in Iceland, and the future of history museums in Reykjavik. Uh,
1: so, do you want me to introduce myself? Uh, my name is Gibran de Bentison. Uh, I'm a histo- uh, historian and uh, museologist as well. I'm the museum di- of, director of Reykjavik City Museum. Uh, I started my career here when I was still uh, studying history at the university in 1997 here at the alparo Museum, and then uh, later on I worked at the photo museum for like 10 years. I also took a break from work to, to finish my master's in, uh, first in, in history and then I took another master's in Gotham, Gothenburg in Sweden in uh, museology. And then I came back to the photo museum and then in 2005 I, I started to work here at the Opener Museum again. And then uh, I applied for the uh, thereafter when they were merged in 2014.
0: The Reykjavik City Museum, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, is five individual sites. It's mm-hmm. only been in the last um, little more than a decade that's been mm-hmm. brought under one administrative umbrella. Mm-hmm. What have been the challenges in bringing these museums together? What's kind of a long-term vision for, for cooperation and coordination?
1: Mm-hmm. To my understanding, the, the best part of, of the process the this merging uh, Five units was that the staff took part in it. We were able to work with the idea from the beginning and influence that in a way. Of course there are different cultures in each and every institution so to say. So we had kind of like yeah, bring people together and some people they had different roles after the uh, merging of the museum. Some people were of course saw the opportunity in it others saw threats and so on. So it was just like uh, the, the, probably the most common things in, in changing that people are afraid of what they don't know. And some people celebrate the, the new opportunities and so on. But I think in, in general this went well. And it was interesting that, that um, there was a student at uh, the program in um, governmental <laughs> program. Uh, she did a study on, on the emerging of the museum. So we were like lab rats through the whole uh. process. <laughs> But the challenge, as I said, it's probably like in most mergers that um, people are, are uncertain about the, the future and so on. But in general, I think we are working on the same goal. We are working with the history of Reykjavik and conserving it, preserving it and, and uh, meditating to people. I believe the long term goal is that we will be able to grow even more. And uh, last week it was decided in the city council that uh, the city would buy the oldest houses in Reykjavik and the City Museum would prepare an open exhibition there. One unit more to the museum, we could say. Yeah, I think uh, in the future the City Museum will take care of all history in in Reykjavik, so to say.
0: So you see more institutions being added or, yeah, or created yeah,
1: under created, this umbrella. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly the term. I see the City Museum as an umbrella. And that's what we did in our marketing strategy is that uh, in general people they're not so concerned about the ownership of each and every destination they're going to or museum so like alber open museum is, is just a strong uh, has a strong kind of like position in people's mind or a strong brand you could say it's still alber open museum even though the umbrella is, is
0: different do you think having these museums all together Let's make right it compete a bit more with the uh, the bigger capital cities.
1: Definitely, I mean, we're in, in a Scandinavian network of city museums, and I met my colleagues in Stockholm last spring, and then I saw the institutions there almost the same the size and, and structure. So it was quite interesting to to see and learn about their operations. So definitely, I would I would describe us on the same level as as the city museums in. The other uh, Scandinavian countries.
0: In my conversation with SIG earlier mm-hmm. this month, mm-hmm. um, we talked about the two audience groups that mm-hmm. you are serving at these mm-hmm. museums. You have a small, hyper local population, mm-hmm. and then you have coming up estimated 2 million mm-hmm. tourists mm-hmm. this year. How do you balance the demands of these two groups? I know. Um, when Sig and I were talking, it kind of seems like the tourism wave is not so equally distributed among no, all the museums. No.
1: We can mention these two examples of, uh, like you said, where the uh, number of tourists is not equally, as you say, anyway, distributed. Yeah. Uh, distributed. It's, uh, at, the, at the settlement exhibition, the, probably 90% of the visitors, they are foreign guests. But the number here in the open museum, probably 60 or 70, they are local people. So part of it is the so-called distance decay theory in tourism, that the more distance from the center you go, the fewer tourists. It's a little bit more difficult for uh, tourists to come here. They have to take the bus and even change. But on the other hand, the settlement exhibition is just in the city center and you drop down the hall to <laughs> do it. Uh, but here our Museum is also uh, very close to the big suburbs like our suburban preyhof and grau so yeah it's easy for the local people to come here uh, it's very child friendly you can bring your kids and they can run around the area uh, so and appreciate it that's also part of it but of course it's also marketing i mean uh, depending on uh, how we are what what groups we are focusing on Regarding the settlement exhibition, it's a little bit uh, a little bit concerned about the the declining number of Icelanders coming there.
0: So it's a declining number of locals yes, attending. Yeah. Do you think it's just because it was a new thing? They all came. Definitely, it's a pretty small yeah. exhibit. I mean, it, yeah. you can spend a yeah. lot of time there. Yeah. I've gone like three mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. But, but it may not be the kind of thing that you go over and over. No, as a, a local. lot of
1: people say they've been there, done that. So, but here we have uh, different programs. We have, uh, yeah different activities on Sundays and so on, so it's so always something new to see here. It's difficult for the settlement exhibition to compete with, even though we try to have lectures and special exhibitions and all kind of happenings.
0: Um, how? What are the numbers at the Maritime Museum, I believe? That one's down in near Grandi, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's in an area that's not quite as central as no. the settlement exhibition, no. which is, I think, under a hotel. Mm-hmm. but it's still it's still a lot got a lot yeah, of foot traffic. Yeah. It's in an area that caters yeah. to tourists.
1: Well, I think it's almost 50-50%. Yeah, I think, I think that was the number last year. But uh, it will be interesting to see the next year when we'll open a new exhibition there.
0: How do you think that having this kind of, this enormous amount of tourists mm-hmm. um, at places like the settlement, but even trying to attract them here at the um, Open mm-hmm. Air Museum, does this kind of, pose challenges in, in picking which programs to put on.
1: I think it overlaps a lot. To my understanding, I mean, museums being part of tourism, as I, I see it, it doesn't matter if the visitor is, is uh, from abroad or, or local. I mean, we have a history to tell and we try to make it interesting. We try to make a point. And of course, uh, we try to show integrity and authenticity. And that's also something that I believe is very important in tourism. I mean, people understand, they get the feeling if if it's fake or real. And most of uh, museum visitors, I believe, they are looking for something that the local people could recommend. That's the overlap as I see it.
0: How do you see the Reykjavik City Museum's role in this city changing or growing over Mm -hmm. the next five to ten years and you've Mm -hmm. already talked about uh, physical growth getting bigger but kind of the role it plays in Mm -hmm. society Mm -hmm. and what people need from it. Mm
1: -hmm. One of our goals uh, with the new museum was to kind of have like influence on people's identity and I believe like with Auerbach Open Museum, which is a collection of old houses and we restore them and we take care of them and, and make them beautiful museum objects, so to say. And in that sense, we hope that uh, people understand and respect the history of houses, old houses and just the architecture and, and the beauty of it. Yeah, sometimes we say that uh, Albert Open, Open Museum is, is the home of uh, house conservation, <laughs> <laughs> which has been kind of like a, the attitude towards it has changed drastic, drastically in, in the last 20 years. So people respect much more than they did 20 years ago, old houses in the, in the center of Reykjavík. Of course, we are, those houses we have here, some of them have been moved from the center, but that's not the policy our policy now, not at all to get more houses from the city center here to the museum. We'd rather see houses to have them restored at their original site in Situ and, and get a, some kind of a respectful role there. As historian, I am always concerned about the questions: so Why read history? What what good is that? Uh, So I think in general, it goes the same for the museum. We have a story to tell. We have to learn from our past to do our present and future better. That's, I mean, in general, that's quite simple. (laughs) So I hope the museum uh, will be able to uh, contribute to to that.
0: Do you feel like appreciation and use and and engagement with history is... On the rise in iceland at a good place what are your kind of thoughts on that in, in the population
1: yeah i think people have uh, not a negative attitude towards uh, history i mean or, or learning history and understanding history i mean i hope at least at least the people i <laughs> talk to they they <laughs> see the importance of it i mean and then of course like we have the the new president he is um historians he is always talking like a historian giving Almost in every speech, a uh, uh, small his- historic lecture, so to say. We have to understand and, and learn about our past to to make the future better. I mean, that's that's simple in my mind.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of my colleagues. They they know me as the person who loves Iceland. So when when the new uh, president uh, mm-hmm. with his the historian, mm-hmm. came, and they all are sending me the article. Yeah. Iceland has a historian, yeah, and yeah. they're all very jealous. Yeah. So we were, we were really jealous in the history community. <laughs> What aspects of Reykjavik's history get a disproportionate focus and what stories and histories deserve more attention than they're getting?
1: Well, I think, uh, for instance, in our case, we discussed this uh, a lot when we were in the process of merging the museums. Uh, We didn't see this as like institutional history or the political history would be our main focus, rather the history of, of the common people. Uh, here at the Open Air Museum, for example, we've been focusing a lot of children and children's history and also uh, women's history. And then, of course, we have ideas about uh, working with minorities here in, in Iceland, for instance, immigrants like from Poland and so on. So just not uh, to forget ourselves in mainstream history, I think that's uh, one of the major points.
0: How have you seen the focus on history in general in uh, changing? Has there been more focus on the common people or do people yeah. still want to kind of, I guess in Iceland it's a little easier, there's not yeah. so much a royal history no. or anything like that to get no. distracted with.
1: Not military history? <laughs> yeah, no military
0: history, that's a big one out of the yeah. way.
1: Yeah. yeah, I would say, say so. I think uh, a lot of historians have been focusing on this and I mean... Just like women's history and and children's history and so on so of course we are influenced by that and i think in general people are more interested in that than yeah the the what to say the classic uh, mainstream history those who are visiting the museums we've done studies and so and ask people what they are interested in and usually it's something they can reflect upon and see themselves and compare somehow so People are generally interested in people.
0: (laughs) It seems so simple. Do you think in terms of telling the common people story, in terms of telling a more representative history that Icelandic historians and Mm -hmm. Icelandic museums are more progressive right now or you still have some catching up to do?
1: I think we still have some catching up to do, Mm -hmm. Uh, like most academics. For instance, in, in the field of museology, we are in close con- contact with Scandinavia. Uh, historians are, are that as well, so we get a lot of ideas from there. And actually now, this week weekend, there will be a, a ICOM conference in uh, Sweden where they will focus on, on uh, difficult issues in museums. And that's something ICOM, uh, the ICOM uh, communities in, in Scandinavia are working with come uh, Germany as well and I took part in preparing this conference. Unfortunately I will not be able to join it. I mean this is something that we Scandinavians have been thinking about a lot and I, I guess like in Sweden and Denmark they are more advanced than we are. <laughs> I have to, I would, that's my feeling at least.
0: Do you think it's because they have more so-called difficult history, or because they've the consciousness is more aware of that difficult yeah, history? Yeah, not so much that yeah, there's, yeah. there's more of it.
1: I think this, they're just more advanced in, in many academic aspects. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think the museum should tell that in the past everything was better. That's, that's not yeah. the, the idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we cannot avoid, as uh, I was saying, difficult issues. I mean. We touched up on our exhibition here once uh, about the the Second World War and the influence from the uh, occupation of the U.S. There was kind of like a, the situation, so-called situation, when Icelanders they were afraid that uh, Icelandic women were involved with uh, U.S. military men and so on, and, and there was all kind of hypocrism and, and racism in, in, in the society that you get ashamed to, to read about now. So we also have to learn about that.
0: Together, the five museums that make up the Reykjavik City Museum cover so many different parts of the city's history and culture. I feel like personally, and podcastily, can I say that? (laughs) Um, I've just scratched the surface of what they have to offer in terms of exhibits and events. I suspect I'll have to do at least one or two more podcast episodes on the other exhibits I haven't explored yet. I'm kind of hoping they will let me record on Odin, the Cold War-era Coast Guard ship managed by the Maritime Museum. Museums in strange waters, anyone? Thanks for listening and following along as I get to know Iceland's museums and the amazing people who run them. The music in this episode is by the Icelandic singer-songwriter Seastone and is used with their permission. As always, you can visit my website, hhefman.com, that's H-H-E-T-H-M-O-N dot com to find links to Stone's music, photos of the places described in the episode, and other behind-the-scenes and further reading goodies. If you want to tell me what you thought of this episode or other installments of Museums and Strange Places, send me a tweet at Hannah underscore Stay tuned for the next episode of Museums and Strange Places. A visit to the remains of the medieval fortress of Iceland's great historian, poet, and politician, Snorri Sturluson.